as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, I mean, what a name, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them away right now. It's not in my notes, but I feel to say this briefly, is what Tabitha shared with us right now, is what is the donkey that God has given you? Because Jesus wants to get on it and ride it into town. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him, sorry, the crowds that went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heavens. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city, not part, the whole city, was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned tables of money and benches and those who were selling doves. It is written, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame. Notice this. When Jesus comes in, when the kingdom of God breaks in, what happens? The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and they were all healed. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw these wonderful things that he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna is the son of David, they were indignant. And what happens then if you read further? Jesus goes out the city, and he comes across a fig tree that's not bearing fruit, and he curses it, and it withers and dies. A depiction of what was happening for his people, the Jewish nation, they were not producing fruit. And he spoke to it and it died. Won't you play the video clip for me, please? Mark. How many of you have seen the movie? <clears throat> Called The Perfect Storm, hence the title of my preacher. When I say up front, it's an adaptation of a talk that I heard by N.T. Wright, who I believe to be one of the most the foremost uh, theologians in our world today. And uh, this movie was an adaptation of a 1997 novel, non-fiction novel, based on a true event called The Perfect Storm that happened in 1991. And uh, what happened in this particular storm was, you can look up there, was you had off the east coast of um, the United States and Canada, was you had this high-pressure system that developed. You had these cold winds that came in from the west, and then what you had was this tropical storm that came up from the Caribbean, the Caribbean, and all three of them collided, and that's why it was the perfect storm. The cold winds and the high-pressure system itself would have caused a massive storm. But now you had this warm tropical system that came in as well. And guess what? This little fishing boat called the Andrea Gale was right in the middle of it. I think many of us often feel like that. We feel like we're in that storm. Then there's a bit of a calm, and then the next wave comes, and we feel like that next wave is going to do to us what happened to the Andrea Gale. So what I want to talk about this morning is the perfect storm that we see 
when Jesus came on his donkey into Jerusalem, and then I want to relate that to our own lives and see what that does for us and how we can walk that out today. So the high-pressure system that existed, here's the first-century Mediterranean uh, world, and you'll see there's Rome, uh, there's Jerusalem, and obviously with Corinth and Athens and Ephesus and Antioch, etc. And what we see from this is we see that in the context of Jerusalem, we have these Jewish aspirations and dreams. Here's a nation that had been in exile, that had come back through Nehemiah and Ezra and had rebuilt the city of Jerusalem and rebuilt the temple. But the problem was, was when they went into exile, God's presence left the temple and has never come back. And they are waiting for this Messiah that has been spoken of in the scriptures to come back and to save them. And there's this other wave, well not wave, but this cold wind of, from the west called the Roman imperialism. And what they've done is they've come and they want to take over and they have taken over. And they're under oppression. And they know that previously Moses came and saved them from Egypt under their oppression. And they know that someone like Moses, this Messiah King, is going to come and rescue them from this Roman imperialism. And the Romans, what they want to do is they want to secure this route, this whole route, because what's happening is a lot of the, the food and resources are coming from this area, which they are shipping back to Rome. What they doing is they're trying to make sure that those trade routes are kept peaceful so that the resources can flood back into their own country. Not too different from why people want peace in the Middle East right now, except it's no longer food, it's oil, isn't it? Let's keep the peace so that we can all trade off each other and make sure that everything is, is going okay. And then lastly, what we see is we see Jesus and his kingdom, the kingdom of God coming in, and we see this perfect storm brewing. And we see Jerusalem is caught in the middle of this and what kind of transpires from that moment. In Luke 19, if we go back to looking at this from a historical perspective, and uh, we see this, this Jewish nation who is dreaming of what the future looks like and their, their aspirations, what we see is Jesus in Luke 19 with the same account. He's on the donkey and he comes, I guess, over the ridge and he sees the city of Jerusalem and he begins to weep. Now, who knows, weeping is not just kind of shedding a tear like we see in the movies, you know. He's weeping. And he says, you guys have no clue of what is going to come right now. Things are going to come crashing down around you. And you are calling for the presence of God to be restored in the temple. And you have missed me. You've missed God, who is God, Emmanuel, God with you, right amongst you. Because you haven't understood what the scriptures have said about me. So there are three things right up front. They missed Jesus. Why? Because they had forgotten about the God of the Scriptures. They had developed this God of the Scriptures through their own understanding and through their own means. And yet in Zechariah it was specifically said that he would come riding gentle on a donkey. They had forgotten the God of the Scriptures. They were expecting the same as Pontius Pilate, the consul of the time, to come in in pomp and ceremony with all the bells and whistles. And here was a king on a horse, and yet he comes as a suffering servant on a donkey. They missed him entirely. That's why 1 John says he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. I don't know about you, but there were times when uh, my mom and dad would pick me up from, let's say, a swimming gala or a swimming training moment or a rugby match or whatever it is, and they came in a different car. And you look and you go, that's not my mom and dad. That's not their car. And in the same way, that's what happens when we have expectations that we have created 
about what God should look like and what God is doing, we look for the wrong God. And yet we have a Bible that displays and tells us who God is, who looks like Jesus. And if we're not reading our Bibles, if we're not digesting all of that, then Jesus can come in our midst and we miss him because we are not looking for the God of the Bible. We are looking for a God of our own imaginations, our own dreams, and our own aspirations. Secondly, what happens is they missed God dwelling with them, which I have said already. And like I've said, he had abandoned the temple. And John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one, of the, uh, the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And that word dwell, talk, it's, it's a temple word. And he has Jesus dwelling amongst them and they miss him. The temple had come back. The presence of God had come back and they miss him because they miss the Jesus who was the one who was carrying the presence of God, who had come to cleanse the temple of its economic just rubbish, kicked over the tables, the money tables, the corruption and the exploitation that was happening. And not only that was he going to do that physically, but he was coming to change men's hearts. And then thirdly, what he does is they think that this Messiah, this king is going to come out and sort all their problems. So their dreams and aspirations are that there's going to be this utopia. This king is going to come, the Roman Empire is going to disappear, and they're just going to sip their tea and have their milkshakes by the poolside, and they don't have to do anything. And what Jesus says, no, no, I'm coming to set you free to deal with your hearts, but the kingdom of God is coming, that you will be under my rule and reign, and there is a partnership that's going to happen, and you've got things to do. And I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. As Paul said, I'll work harder than any of you. Although not me, but the Holy Spirit inside of me. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says that God has good works prepared in advance for us to do. Now what you had was on this side of the city, Pontius Pilate, who was the consul, the Roman consul, would come in from his residence into the city. And he would be on a horse in his pompous regalia. And there would be armed guards and there would be all kinds of stuff. And the, the city would come out and clap because they needed to. They needed to acknowledge that he was the authority in the area. Now what you have on the other side of the city is you have Jesus who hops on a donkey and comes running down. And I read there and I emphasize that the whole city, and I don't know if it was at the same time, I'm taking some poetic license. But what happened was he was probably coming in the city that side and here comes Jesus on his donkey. And the whole city come and worship him. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Praise be the son of David. And here, the authority that was supposed to be, this western force that was coming through, now you have the kingdom of God coming and encroaching upon that. Guess what was going to happen? The perfect storm was about to be unleashed in Jerusalem. This was a stark contrast to what was happening. And the people of the day and the symbolism would not have been lost to those people. We've got to stop with our chronological snobbery. The people back then were not stupid and uneducated. They knew what was going on. And they knew that by Jesus coming in here, there was going to be this clash of this western wind of, of Roman, Roman imperialism. There was going to be this clash of people's own desires and aspirations with the coming kingdom and its king called Jesus. Jesus knew that this would result in his death. Remember, he had told them, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. He knew that his death would inaugurate the kingdom coming to earth, which is an already but not yet dispensation which we live in right now. When God's kingdom comes in and breaks in on us, it creates death at times. And I'm going to speak about that in a moment. When Jesus started his ministry, what did he say? What were the first words Jesus mentioned? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
He's telling us, God's coming to take back control, guys. What does that look like? What does that look like in all our lives when God comes and takes back control? Because we know the Western uh, wind of, call it Roman imperialism, the Western wind that we live in in this world, the Western culture blows across our lives. 